Today I sat down with Brennan Spalacy of Patch. Now they use software to simplify the long, complex process that's mostly paper and pencil to actually buy carbon offsets from projects that remove carbon from our air. Now, Brennan came on and shared valuable nuggets about his founder journey, the technologies that they're looking at, and more importantly, nuggets that might be valuable for investors or founders looking to break into this sector of the climate space. You're not gonna wanna miss a minute of this video because it's filled with valuable information. So if you wanna see more videos like this, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss another upload and hit the like button because it lets guys like me and Brennan know that you actually enjoyed this interview and maybe he'll come back on in the future. So with that being said, enjoy the interview. Brennan, it is an honor to have you on. Uh, Patch has been a company I have been following uh, for quite a bit, but uh, I'm sure many people in the audience may have heard of you after the big Andreessen Horowitz funding round. Um, so before we dive in and start to dig into the perspectives that you have on climate and on carbon, why don't you give us a quick background on yourself and what Patch API is all about? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so for my background, uh, from New York originally, studied chemical engineering at McGill. So I'm a dual citizen. I'm American and Canadian. Um, initially wanted to work in renewable energy systems. That's the whole reason I studied chemical engineering. That ended up not working out. I only got jobs out in, out in the tar sands, out in Western Canada, uh, which was kind of the opposite of what I wanted to do. And so worked at a series of startups uh, afterwards, primarily as a software developer, but also a little bit as a product manager, uh, primarily at uh, Shopify and a hospitality company called Sonder. Uh, Sonder was kind of the big, big growth stage opportunity for me, I suppose. I joined when it was about 15 people and had the privilege of helping it grow to about 1,500 people over about four years. And they're the ones that relocated me out to the Bay Area, so I'm currently out here. And in the last 15 months, I've started this company called Patch, which is um, something I co-founded with Aaron Grunfeld, who I actually met at Sonder. So he was the first employee at Sonder. Mm. Uh, and what Patch is, in the kind of the most basic sense, is you partner with a really wide variety of both carbon offset and carbon removal developers and build software for them to help them run their business. So this can be as familiar as something like reforestation or renewable energy development, so as foreign as enhanced weathering or direct our carbon capture. And we help those developers, not software developers, but project developers, expose their capacity online in both a visual marketplace uh, where you can actually scroll and understand the different kind of attributes of a particular carbon project, as well as through a programmatic interface where we have a series of APIs that both let you footprint things like travel or cryptocurrencies and then actually transact with these different forms of carbon removal pack. And the kind of end user of those APIs are primarily businesses um, that are tech enabled. So partner with a really wide variety of businesses on the buy side, uh, primarily in um, crypto, fintech, institutional banking. So that's kind of like a big finance bucket. And then uh, e-commerce and, and private equity is actually another big group for us. So that's, that's kind of the, the high level on patch of who we typically work that's, with. That's actually really interesting. So I, I didn't know that private equity groups are also getting involved in I guess, calculating and removing uh, their carbon footprint. Uh, how, how does that end up working? Because that's, that's an angle I, I, don't, I, haven't, uh, I haven't thought of or seen in the marketplace ever. Yeah, absolutely. So they're primarily focusing on the visual product, okay. right? So 
the the idea of using the patch dashboard versus the API itself. Okay. And for them, they kind of have two two motivating factors. The first is as the, they're still a business, right? Private equity is still a business, and so as a result, they want to be perceived as highly ethical, kind of sustainability minded, and so they're going to focus on kind of compensating and reducing the carbon op- emissions associated with the fund's operations. Really concrete example of this is EQT. Uh, Swedish fund out um, in Stockholm. They have about $60 billion under management. Um, they, they're a patch customer. And they both use patch to offset their fund's emissions. And now they're actually offering a service to all of their portfolio companies, both across their venture fund, as well as they also have like a more traditional um, like growth equity and like leveraged buyout kind of line of business uh, to both footprint their businesses, provide reduction opportunities. And then finally, uh, offering some sort of carbon compensation piece, which is kind of which is powered by Patch. And so when you think about ESG investing, like what does that truly mean? Uh, EQT specifically is really trying to put their money where their mouth is uh, by actually not just maybe allocating capital in a particular way, but actually providing uh, the businesses they allocate capital to with the tools they need to make concrete action. So that's kind of that's at least the, the private. So, so it seems more like where Patch is expanding into is you're building the software tools required to connect buyers and sellers even broadly past reforestation efforts you're moving into renewable energy project development so i'm assuming some of these companies might even choose to buy renewable energy credits or recs um, and you guys are just providing i guess speed in those transactions um, for different businesses. Is that like a good summary of where Patch is trying to head in current products and future products? So that's definitely one piece okay. of it. So the speed um, is definitely one piece that's super appealing, right? So when you look at how people traditionally interacted with any sort of environmental derivative, um, uh, it kind of looks like B2B procurement where you have to actually run an RFP process, perform due diligence on your partners, negotiate payment terms, making sure work actually gets fulfilled and isn't and is like there's no kind of slippage on timelines, things like this. And patch kind of abstracts all that complexity away from you. Where you if you kind of put a, a figure in the patch, we actually provide all of the legal and financial guardrails in addition to kind of that aggregation um, that typically comes with a traditional kind of marketplace business to actually make um, that particular transaction happen. And so that's also why like people like working with Patch. It's not just the idea that everything's in one place and they can work quickly, but it's also kind of that financial and, and legal infrastructure underneath the hood that you don't really think about. But the idea is like if you're allocating a million dollars if you're a business, how do you really want to make sure that work gets done? And so there's a, it's this idea of kind of hold, we kind of hold the projects accountable to actually execute on the work they say they're going to be doing. Hmm. So is is that a typically unknown challenge? Because obviously when it comes to I guess carbon offsets is is the traditionally, I guess, uh, scapegoated child of of the whole climate space over the past couple of years, especially in corporate sustainability conversations. Um, Is is the financial and legal side actually that big of a challenge for companies that have interest in funding reforestation efforts or funding solar projects to a point where having you guys as a entity kind of take over all of that risk while also bringing the supply with you is is really immensely valuable to these entities because traditionally you'll see large corporates like a facebook and google have their own internal buying practices are you guys seeing that you know smaller entities 
tend to want to offload that risk to a different entity to deal with? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You kind of hit the nail on the head, right? I mean, one of the biggest pieces that's important to marketplace businesses more broadly is this idea of trust and safety. Mm -hmm. So safety is a little bit less important to us. I mean, not that it's not important to our to us as people, but the the act of people getting hurt or harmed is le less common in carbon <laughs> markets. Um, but trust is a huge piece, right? right? So if you think about some of the value maybe like an Airbnb brought, um, you know, technically there was home sharing before Airbnb. It existed on Craigslist and whatever else. But, you know, you do something on Craigslist, it feels like a very high risk transaction, right? There's not this trusted intermediary. Right. Um, and so Patch is playing both that piece in addition with respect to like the legal and financial guardrails that I mentioned earlier, in addition to this aggregation. So I wouldn't say, um, I guess the right way to put it is all of these different attributes are important to create a holistic solution. Just one slice isn't, I think, quite enough to kind of solve this problem because procurement teams, like you said, have to find a solution for every kind of sector they're buying out of every vendor they're interfacing with. And so Patch is really just solving that problem, not for procurement teams more broadly, but just procurement teams procuring carbon. Got it. So, I mean... There's so many different options available today in the marketplace when it comes to carbon offsets, right, as broad. And and it seems like Patch has expanded well past just carbon offsets, meaning, and, and when I mean carbon offsets, I'm referring to reforestation projects, um, though there are various alternatives to just general carbon offsets like Rex. But when I mention carbon offsets, there tend to be a number of vendors available in the market. What's What's something that you guys have recognized that other companies, other founders and investors that are interested in this space because the impact is potentially huge um, because effectively you're funneling potentially billions of dollars of cash into a market that requires it um, at a broad level in order to do anything to benefit the climate. How have you guys slowly started to think about what differentiates each vendor from each other, especially in the sense of patch, when there seems to be multiple vendors offering what seems like commoditized offerings. Totally, totally, no, absolutely. So I think that's actually, uh, you know, we talked about opinions coming into this. That's actually one of the most dangerous ways to think about carbon is actually thinking of it as a commodity. And the reason for that is commodities typically imply. Um, well, one, some form of like SEC regulation, which is not the case, at least in voluntary markets. But two, um, that there's some form of standardization, right? And there are verification standards that exist, but the, the each standard essentially has different, what is called kind of permanence requirements. So how long does that carbon stay sequestered? Okay. Uh, different kind of additionality measures. So as you kind of finance a particular project, how much of that positive climate impact is a result of that additional incremental injection of cash. That's a little bit, you have to usually compare that to some sort of counterfactual situation as if that money never came into existence, how much climate benefit would have happened at essentially homeostasis or steady state and then putting that money in what happens, um, as well as a few other factors. And so there's actually an immense amount of metadata associated with each carbon offset or each ton of uh, CO2 sequestered or removed. And so as a result, it's actually very difficult to commoditize. And thinking of it as a commodity versus like, say, a individual or unique product, which is what we do at Patch, can get you in some tricky situations, especially if you have a very particular climate goal in mind. And so what I mean by that, like I'll bring it to a really concrete use case, soil carbon sequestration typically lasts anywhere from 10 to 20 years. Hmm. 
Um, so when you're sequestering carbon in soil through some sort of renewable agriculture practice or something else, it's going to stay out of the air for 20 years. Um, for reforestation, the permanence is typically the life of the tree, which you can usually estimate to be anywhere from like 80 to 100 years. And then you might use something like enhanced weathering or direct air carbon capture, where after DAC or maybe you're injecting it into some sort of like um, underground um, geosequestration well, that can last for a thousand plus years. And so those typically scale up in price related to permanence. And so to kind of add nuance to that price, you have to understand, well, you're actually not just paying for a ton of CO2, but actually you're per, like if you prorate the price per ton year, you actually you kind of contextualize the price a little bit. Because every 20 years, you're gonna have to pay another you know, Y dollars with the soil sequestration to keep that ton sequestered over time. And so it's actually more of like a lifetime analysis question for each ton that you need to consider when buying. And so with Patch, we really lean into that kind of um, idea that carbon truly is not a commodity. And we expose an immense amount of metadata about each project to help inform particular buyers and help them understand what are they truly buying and how to navigate what is a fairly so opaque ecosystem. So let's let's dive into that metadata aspect yeah. a little bit more. What what specifically would you consider is it is it that time sequestered being the key differentiator between one carbon offsetting project versus the other that you guys tend to lean into? So are you approaching entities and saying, "Hey, you know, Microsoft, you've been around for X decades." you want to sequester the next hundred years because you think you'll be around for that long. Or, hey, IBM, you've been around for X decades and you want to sequester all of your previous carbon you know, uh, emissions and future ongoing emissions. So what is that differentiating thing that makes you know, someone like me who doesn't know too much from operating in the space realize, oh, wait, you know, all carbon offsets aren't equal and they shouldn't be considered commodities. Yeah, absolutely. So this concept of permanence is, is obviously a huge one. In addition, in addition to price, okay. right? Those are kind of two, two really huge levers. The, the third, again, is uh, additionality, which is kind of this idea we were talking about earlier in the call. Um, but some other metadata with respect to maybe geography or how long the organization that's actually been developing the project um, has been around. There's also, in some cases, R&D risk. Hmm. So there's like there are some newer technologies on patch that don't have a 20 or 30 year track record. They might have a five year track record. This is something that Stripe has really leaned on super well, where they said we're only going to operate on like the cutting edge and work with like truly thousand plus year permanent carbon removal solutions, which is awesome. Um, but a lot of those pieces of technology don't have that much baseline, and so there's some inherent like R&D risk associated with them. Um, which is totally fine. Like people have to take risks to progress the ecosystem forward. And if that's the type of organization you want to be uh, on the kind of edge innovation, I think that's awesome. And we have a lot of people at um, that use patch that kind of have the same mindset of strike. Um, and then I think that the final piece, which is actually really important, it's got to call out is actually the mechanism. So is it actually removing carbon? So, you know, you can think of a, a tree sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere if it is a net to tree being planted. Um, but you can also imagine a world where maybe there was going to be some sort of emission event, um, like uh, like a new coal plant being developed, and instead a solar farm was developed instead. And so that's actually an avoidance credit. And so there's different form, different mechanisms where ideally a ton emitted um, is better than a ton, of, or sorry, a ton prevent or a ton avoided, excuse me, is better than a ton emitted and then a ton removed. Hmm. 
And so always opting for like, you know, how do you prioritize between form, different forms of decarbonization and carbon removal is also an important consideration depending on the goals of your business. Um, and then kind of finally, uh, there's a bit of nuance related to, um, to the type of emissions you're trying to compensate. So you mentioned renewable energy credits um, earlier in the call. It's really important uh, to like, most folks primarily only want to compensate their scope two emissions. So associated with electricity generation with renewable energy credits. And so when you hear people you know, saying we're 100 percent powered by renewable energy, that's usually relating to some sort of procurement of renewable energy uh, derivative like Iraq. Uh, but you can't be offsetting your like uh, diesel uh, consuming trucks with renewable energy credits. They're not on the same value chain. And so it's not appropriate to use that type of uh, credit to, for that use case. So it's, it's, it's almost like you guys are, a, I, I don't know if the right word is broker or dynamic marketplace, because it seems like you're also taking risks on newer technologies coming out because I think uh, the thing that we've been covering recently that seems like it's picked up and has an opportunity is like carbon sequestering concrete has been an interesting one that's been covered a few times. Yeah. I think you guys also support a few of those projects. Um, yeah. So is is there a reason why you guys are on the bleeding edge or have you guys just found that, hey, even though they're just fresh out of the lab and they can't necessarily guarantee you that carbon's going to be out for the next 20 years. There's that inherent risk. Have you guys found that companies like Stripe, maybe even other private equity groups and other companies in general are willing to take on those inherent risks? Because even if it doesn't sequester carbon for 20 years, even a couple of years of removal is worth the expense because at the end of the day, they look at it as more of a societal benefit than necessarily their own pockets or they're they're not too worried about the dollars they're they're considering it almost a rounding error if one of these projects end up failing yeah totally so number one hundred percent right we do have um carbon cure specifically listed listed on patch um which depending on the source of co2 could technically be avoidance or removal mm -hmm. so it depends on the context of where that co2 is actually coming from that's being injected is it you know, being captured at like um, off like a smokestack and then being injected, or is it actually being like captured to move direct to carbon capture and then being instead of being sequestered underground, it's being sequestered. In okay. So there's a couple of different options there. Um, but to answer your question specifically, there's kind of there's two or three things. So for the reason Patch thinks it's important um, to support all these different technologies is primarily because climate change is an immense problem. Right. Okay, like one of the kind of top three general generational fights of, of our lifetime. Of course. And as a result, we actually have the opinion that we actually don't want to um, quote unquote pick favorites on the type of solution out there. We actually we believe instead of trying things in series, we need to have, you know, 100, 200, 1000 different kind of solutions operating in parallel because maybe 5, 10, 20 percent of them will actually convert and operate well. And we can't actually afford, given how tight the timeline is, we will only have two or three decades to figure this out, to say, no, we're going to try this basket first and then a different basket later. We actually need to do everything in parallel and actually have more of a positive sum mindset versus a zero sum mindset when it comes to capital allocation to these different forms of technologies. Um, the second piece is from like an adoption perspective, you know, we look at what like, happened with photovoltaics in the last 20 or 30 years. There were a bunch of different um, semiconductors that were experimented with. And then one 
kind of one or two major ones really took off and then actually ended up traversing the cost curve. So you definitely need that initial like experimentation phase where you're trying a bunch of different options. And then once you find something that really, really works, the incremental investment to traverse the cost curve is super important. You know, we're seeing it right now with companies like Carbon Engineering, Climeworks, Heirloom. They all have slightly different ways to um, run their direct air carbon capture facilities. And maybe they'll all work out. Maybe only some will work out. Uh, but either way, we're going to find out in the next couple of years, then the ones that work really, really well, that's going to when you double, triple, quadruple down on that particular solution. Shifting to the, the mindset of the corporate buyer. Um, I think there's a couple of things here. There, there are some that are just truly altruistic. Um, but at the end of the day, this is something consumers care about a lot. And so in many cases, you know, earmarking $5 million a year in the case of you being Shopify isn't a huge expense to be perceived as one of the most kind of forward thinking businesses. That's going to pay itself down in spades time and time again, right? They hire three, four engineers a year just off of people being inspired by that. And that, that investment has paid itself back regardless, totally decoupled from the climate benefit um, where, you know, Toby has children and whatever else. So that's also probably important. Right. Um, but like even just in like the marketing value associated with a lot of this climate action that Shrek is doing as well. You no, know, they, I think, up their investment for I think one to eight million dollars this year. Don't quote me on that, but if they significantly double down on their investment. And again, they're attracting some of the best talent in, in Silicon Valley and all over the world because people are inspired by that organization. So in whether it's like talent acquisition, retention, incremental marketing dollars or climate benefit, there's a bunch of different ways to kind of justify these types of investments. And they're, you're almost always going to be ending up in the money. And you guys are effectively coming in and providing almost like a marketplace like experience. And because you guys are taking away the carbon accounting complexity the legality complexity and the sourcing complexity because you know if i was someone in charge of purchasing carbon just speaking with people who are even part of these sustainability teams um rarely have i ever heard that perspective of we need to take a look of how long that carbon is sequestered um everyone yeah. tends to talk about the space as it's all commodity one tree planted in the Amazon yeah. versus planted in the U.S. It means nothing. It's a tree. Um, and and you've, you've brought up a really interesting way to look at different carbon sequestration technologies and a potential way to almost finance these projects. Have you guys have you guys seen or do I guess not seen, but do you see yourselves almost becoming the financiers for a lot of these carbon sequestration focused companies and technologies that are starting to come into the market or do you solely see yourselves as we go to new company or established company that does something awesome and then we find corporate buyer blah and we say here's the easiest way to get involved with these projects if if that's something of interest to that entity so, I mean, we definitely do that use okay. case, right, that you're describing at the end. And another common one is also related to actually creating products and services around sustainability, mm -hmm. right? So actually some big segments for us are related to crypto, personal finance, and e-commerce. And those are not ahead of sustainability doing some sort of bulk transaction behind the scenes. It's actually integrating that sustainability initiative in a particular product flow, whether it's every swipe of your credit card, some of your interchange goes into patch and could actually support some form of carbon removal technology. Or maybe whenever you buy um, 
you know, a bag or a piece of makeup off of Shopify, the kind of footprint associated with that shipping and that SKU actually gets piped into Shopify and it's or piped into Patch, excuse me, and it's actually built into the cogs of the good. Um, there's kind of many different things that get built out there. To answer your financing question, um, so Patch, the company will most likely never be investing off of our balance sheet or financing off of our balance sheet. That being said, uh, I would not be surprised if you saw Patch partner with some financial institutions in the future to help kind of catalyze the deployment of capital. Um, you know, we're a very small startup. Um, we've been very thankful to work with some some really incredible investors to date. But at the end of the day, we still just raised a little bit uh, a little bit under six million dollars. So we're not we're not going to be moving the needle from a capital allocator perspective. That being said, the data we have in our platform could be incredibly valuable to someone who maybe has a couple billion dollars to deploy in green assets. And maybe if we open up that information to them, you can actually kind of make a better decision there. One thing that you brought up that seems really interesting is you also mentioned crypto. Now, obviously, uh, you know, for many, the, their lord and savior, Elon Musk, um, has presented quite a bit of conversation around renewables and crypto mining. How are you guys getting involved in this entire crypto space? And how does the carbon offsets and the carbon sequestration projects that Patch is trying to introduce actually play a role in the crypto markets? Because this this sounds like something that uh, I've actually never heard any company exploring yet. So you'll hear a lot in, in Q3 and early Q4. I'll, I'll, that will be my patch teaser right. for, for the audience here. Um, but for those who don't know, uh, the way cryptocurrencies work is, you know, it's, there's this essentially distributed computation problem. And it requires an immense amount of electricity to actually process particular transactions um, on the blockchain, whether that's Bitcoin, Ethereum, either 1.0 2.0, uh, Dogecoin, it's a bunch of different forms of cryptocurrencies, uh, many of which are derived from Ethereum, but there are a few others that are also kind of their own thing. Um, and this kind of electricity required to either mine or process particular transactions, depending on your on the protocol, uh, results in pollution. So, you know, if you're you know, spending an immense amount of electricity, that electricity has to come from somewhere. In the case where it's coming from uh, renewables or nuclear, it's not emitting any carbon. But in the case where it's coming from natural gas, coal, oil, it is producing um, emissions. And so we're working with a really wide range of um, both NFT platforms, uh, exchanges, uh, and a few kind of other forms of people who are affiliated with cryptocurrencies in one way or another um, to essentially understand the carbon intensity associated with a particular transaction or a particular amount of cryptocurrency and then give them away to mitigate their footprint, either through renewable energy credits or through different forms of carbon removal, depending on kind of the ethos and perspective of that particular organization. Okay. And so again, you know, everything on the that's built on chain revolves some form of programming, whether that's, you know, a smart contract or something right. else. And so the API kind of model for patch that we have works, maps incredibly well to this kind of use case. The one thing we do get some pushback on is technically our work is not on chain. So there's a little bit of a translation exercise that you have to go through to kind of make it work with uh, the on-chain programming versus off-chain. But besides that, if you kind of solve that bridge, um, it's a pretty, pretty low-lift exercise. And we actually do have one of our partners will be open sourcing their patch integration for other blockchain developers to actually see how that works. So 
Um, I'm not sure if that'll be open source by the time this comes out. Uh, but if, not to plug Pat, but if you follow Pat on Twitter, we will be notifying people of it. So quick, quick heads up there. I, I guess then what that kind of leads me to another question. When, when we think about decarbonization of crypto blockchain mining more specifically, since that's fundamentally where the pollution or the source of usage is coming from. Yeah. The thing that I'm trying to think through is, is the carbon offsetting route that patch provides a permanent kind of solution towards decarbonization, this overarching blockchain approach, or do we really still need to move towards having a solar panel power our Bitcoin miners or our ASIC miners? Um, where do you guys kind of stand on that approach? Because there's there's a lot of conversation on how to solve it. Is the carbon offsetting route truly one that we should prioritize? Or do you see it as a necessity, as a stepping stone to move us towards a day where all of our miners are being powered by solar at that point like how are you guys thinking through this decarbonization conversation yeah absolutely so that's a great it's a great question that that honestly doesn't even just apply to cryptocurrencies or blockchain but actually hmm. just industry and more broadly um so first and foremost like something that's just really important to kind of drive home is a ton prevented is always better than a ton emitted and removed period so patch uh, is almost like a form of like escape hatch, right? Where something bad has happened. There's been some sort of negative environmental externality. How do we right that wrong? Um, and, you know, there are, you know, quite a few wrongs to right. You know, it was nearly 50 billion of them if you're counting tons of CO2 per year. So it's a lot of wrongs to right. So specifically kind of with um, cryptocurrencies, they've actually done an, I would advocate that they should not necessarily like at the network level, mm -hmm. build this into the network, or at least on a permanent basis, right? And then and we've seen that already with Ethereum, with the shift to Ethereum too, where they're moving from a proof of work model to a proof of stake model, where it's materially less energy intensive. So you have a great amount of savings there, as well as the decarbonization of the grid more broadly through renewables or nuclear should continue. Um, and that's like the long-term future. You know, I think a really great, and you know, some of our investors might get annoyed with me for me saying this but like if patch didn't have to exist by the year like 2050 or 2060 i would actually perceive that as a good outcome right because that basically means we're a zero emission state organization um and we've been able to kind of draw down the kind of backlog of co2 in our atmosphere um we have emitted an immense amount of co2 over the last 200 years since that first industrial revolution and What's unfortunate is that I actually don't see a way where we're not going to continue to emit, specifically when it comes to the development of kind of other nations, right? Like the path of least resistance today has really been, you know, you're an agrarian society, you burn a lot of fossil fuels to become maybe a, an industrial society and then a services-based society. Um, and candidly, at least today, fossil fuels are still the fastest way to do that. Now, when we see kind of a leapfrogging like we did with maybe like personal computing straight to mobile computing, maybe, I'm not super sure. But I the unfortunate reality is that there's going to be still a lot more pollution in our near future, despite the most aggressive decarbonization measures being taken. And so really patches your escape hatch. 
Um, and so, you know, when I when we talk about what should people be focusing on, we really view Patch as an extension of any organization's sustainability team. Where you first you want to, you know, measure or report. So, what am I actually? Where do I stand today? What's my baseline? Um, we can help with that, or any of kind of Patch's carbon accounting partners that we've integrated can help with that. Um, second is production. That's very particular to your organization. The way you decarbonize a cement business versus a ride-sharing business versus, you know, a beef farm are very different things. Um, and so we actually would advocate that all internal sustainability resources should be focused on decarbonization because your particular supply chain is very specific to you and no one knows better than yourself. Hmm. And then finally, whatever is left over at the end, that is what should be getting piped in the patch. So the idea is because patch offers such a, like a robust ecosystem of solutions and there's this aggregation component so we can negotiate for better pricing using our collective bargaining power. We can provide infrastructure to provide legal guardrails. Um, there's no reason why every organization should be reinventing a mini patch within them because they're in the long run, they're not going to be able to do it the best. What they will be able to do the best though is understand how they should particularly decarbonize their business. And so I really like doing us as a complement to sustainability teams versus an either or. Again, going back to the parallel solutions point we made earlier in the show, we need to do, be doing all of it in parallel. And so, you know, if you can, if there's a great partner, you can outsource a particular unit of work to like patch, you should do that. But that doesn't mean do nothing. It just means reallocate that out of to decarbonization internally. Got it. Got it. So that way you can avoid more emissions going forward, but also exactly. continue to sequester whatever you really can't avoid, at least today um within your business i mean the great metaphor to think about about to think about it is sorry to interrupt no. is you know if you're in a sinking boat with many holes in it you can bail water out of it right but you should still be plugging the holes right. at the same time you, you can technically stay afloat if you're bailing water out of it but ideally you're, you have one person plugging the holes who understands boats well and then the generalist uh, bucket baler to kind of get the excess water out of that boat and that's kind of the rule patch is, is that literally how you guys came up with the name <laughs> You're patching the holes? Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So we'll patch the name. My wife actually came up with it, but it was the idea of to mend or to repair something. Really? And so, again, it's not it's not called prevent because we're not preventing anything. It's really all about solving what's already been broken and providing a scalable way to fix a problem that needs to be undone. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how you met your co-founder? Obviously, you mentioned at Sonder, but uh, let's go a little bit deeper into that. Well, what's the story like? Why why should we why should we look at Patch as more than just uh, a company that's helping do its part in the climate fight, and rather as uh, two individuals who had a dream and uh, have made decent progress, but has a long way to go. Uh, towards reaching the impact goals they have. So let's let's hear a little bit about that story. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'd argue we still are in the early days of Patch. You say, I want to hear about the early days. We're, we're, we're in them right now. So this, you know, this is just happening live. That being said, um, you know, met my co-founder, Aaron, at Sonder, like I mentioned before. He, um, uh, he was primarily kind of running BD and op different operations teams at Sonder. As the first employee, I, I kind of came in after primarily focusing on programming and software development. And the way, the first time we actually really worked together, we actually launched Saunders' first and second distribution centers. So for those who don't know, the way Saunders furnishes all their apartments is uh, they actually run over 100,000 square feet in North America of warehouses. Um, and 
Aaron and I both launched and wrote the software that ran those warehouses. So we worked together and like, it's like dusty, cold, dirty warehouse in Montreal, which was actually some of my most fun times <laughs> at, at, at Sonder. You know, things later on got far more uh, comfortable, if you will, where, you know, we raised a lot of money. We had a great office in San Francisco, but like the feeling of achievement we had at the end of each day after like working in this like shitty dusty warehouse i like you would literally blow your nose and it would be gray at the end of the day so your nose would be running because it's like minus 20 degrees celsius in the warehouse because they don't heat it because that's a waste of energy great decarbonization and cost saving technique um but as a result you'd be basically sick all the time and coughing up dust and i basically felt like i was like a uh, a diet miner or something like that um, and basically, you know, we got to work on a bunch of different things at Sonder and would eventually decide to leave and start something in climate. Um, and that was back in April of 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. So right when we went fully remote, uh, I decided to quit my job, which was a pretty, you know, interesting timing to, to say the least. Um, you know, we were fortunate enough to partner with some great uh, pre-seed investors right out of the gate where Angelo from version one and Hampus from Pale Blue Dot had the willingness to kind of give us a bit of money on eight slides and I'm incredibly thankful for that. And the rest is kind of, the rest is history. Damn. But very recent history. I don't know if it even counts as history if it's 15 months old, but that, that was the start. So did, did you guys like know this was a problem to solve in its current iteration? So the initial idea just happened to click? Like how did you guys develop that insight? Yeah. I mean, it actually came down from very like first principles thing okay. where, you know, most climate models have us removing anywhere from 15, 10 to 15 gigatons of CO2 per year, in addition to all the different different decarbonization techniques we need to take, mm -hmm. all right? That's an immense amount of carbon. Um, and our thought process was, well, whenever, that's certainly gonna have to come from hundreds of billions of transactions of things, a flight flown, a hamburger eaten, a rideshare ridden. Um, and that's going to come from hundreds or require hundreds of billions of carbon calculations and capital allocations in order to sequester that carbon. And our thought process was, well, whenever hundreds of billions of anything happened a year, it's usually a computer doing it. So how do you build an interface a computer can understand, an API that can augment the existing systems of record we already have, whether that's, you know, a ride sharing application, a travel management system, a payment provider, and actually augment those existing flows to mitigate any sort of negative environmental externality programmatically. And that's the whole idea of if you want to get to truly ubiquitous scale, you know, whenever you're doing billions of anything, it better be automated right. because it's going to be incredibly hard to do that in some sort of manual sense. And so there, it actually wasn't a super acute problem. And like some customer told us that we had an insight. We actually had a, a hypothesis that this needed to exist just kind of on napkin math. And then we just went and pitched the idea to 50 different organizations and you know, we got 40 phone calls and 30 like, oh, yes, we, we actually do need this thing. <laughs> or, oh, it would be great if we had this thing. And that's kind of the genesis story of Patch. It's actually like almost, I don't want to call it hubris or arrogance, but we felt like this theoretically has to exist. And therefore, we're going to build it and will it into existence versus I have this pain. I'm going to solve my pain. Huh. So it goes against traditional kind of startup advice a little bit on that front. So I'm not sure if I would like advise people to replicate that model all the time, but that just happens to be what we it's, did. It's actually really, see, here's actually, I do think it goes alongside with good traditional startup advice because there's plenty of bad stuff out there as well. Because if you look at even like the founding stories of Pachama or Level 10, a lot of times it's just intuition.
right? And that intuition tends to lead into something that you want to build because it seems interesting. And if it's interesting to you, then someone else might find it interesting. But then you go ahead and start to think about, well, where's the macro? Uh, what's the macro situation like in society where this kind of thing that you're building may play a role in? And it seems like a lot of climate companies have taken this, I guess, what you could call non-traditional approach, which software companies tend to be like, hey, let me go find a problem first, or if I have a problem myself, then I'll build solutions for it. Instead, it seems like a lot of climate companies are saying, well, here's the general state of the world, and here's what we probably need to build. That's actually really interesting that this just came out of pure intuition. Um, but... <laughs> I, I, I guess there's there's not much more that we can really go into beyond that. I And in closing, I guess the, the way that I would like to kind of wrap up this really fascinating story that you've presented to us um, today, because I've learned a lot, especially from this angle of carbon offsets not being commodity, because that's something that I came into this conversation thinking about. And you've presented a really interesting angle, and I can't wait for that crypto conversation in the future. So what would you say as a take-home to investors or founders that might be in the audience that is the one key thing they need to keep in mind when it comes to investing or building companies in your market? You could qualify that as carbon offsets. You could qualify that as... I guess, a marketplace, a carbon marketplace. Um, how would you suggest other people think about your niche? Because traditionally, people are coming in with these other perspectives that tend to not be accurate to what people experience once they actually start working, like you explained today. So what's that key piece of information, insight, or takeaway, that contrarian truth that you think the entire audience needs to hear? Yeah, absolutely. So... My, my contrarian truth would be uh, their strength in numbers. And so if you're thinking about starting a business in the space, please shoot me an email instead, because I'd love to have you join the team, uh, because we're hiring across a range of roles, and I would love to hire any talented people that have that entrepreneurial spirit. There you go. So uh, is, is there jobs open across the board at Patch, or is it, are you looking for specific roles from people in the audience? We're hiring across the board. We're hiring okay. across uh, business development, marketing, engineering, product design. Um, and even if you don't fall in any of those buckets, if you're an incredibly motivated person, I still definitely want to talk to you. Um, I always respond to every cold email I get. My email is just B-R-E-N-N-A-N at patch.io. Shoot me a note. We'll figure something out. Awesome. Well, I hope you get a bunch of emails following this podcast once it releases in a couple of weeks. I hope so, too. And uh, I can't wait Bury to me. speak with you again in, uh, in hopefully a couple of months once uh, the big news comes out in quarter three. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Svarnov. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brennan. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. If you are listening on Spotify, please make sure to add this to your favorite episodes and also consider sharing it on social. And if you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave a review with uh, your thoughts from this episode. And of course, to also share and subscribe to this show. The Green Room is brought to you by The Impact. 
There's a free newsletter that you can find on readtheimpact.com, which shares plenty of insights, as well as brand new startups that we're finding that are pre-Series A, which could be opportunities for you, your fund, or potential co-founders to really want to check out and learn from. So with that being said, this is Swarnav Espajari from The Impact. It's been great to have you, and I'll see you in the next one.